USI never had it so good. 101.1 radio. The best R&B and hip-hop music. The Quiet Storm every Friday and Saturday. Talk radio with the best host in the biz. Sports talk radio every weekend night with Princess Cooper. Never had it so good radio now on 101.1. And it's 24-7, the world's best radio station. I never had it so good sports talk radio. Duck, when you do a different platform, you got a different intro. I like that one. But tonight we really want to be serious about what we're trying to do, and that is to have a a conversation um, about what's going on and how we as moms and how we as females internalize this and what advice we are given. And I couldn't have a better panel. I I really couldn't have a better panel. I've been tears all day just watching the news, Duck. Um, Welcome to the show. Unbelievable. You know, the more and more you watch this show, I mean, TV, sadly, again, you know, I just watched the episode uh, today where in Richmond they had handcuffed uh, a young man and the people was hollering, oh, stand him up, stand him up, and the cops spit on him. Wow. So I'm just like, okay, you you know what's going on and you're still doing the same stuff. What does that say? I mean, because even with Minneapolis and the four uh, police officers, their body cams were on. Um, They were in broad daylight. So, I mean, I think that says a lot about we're at a culture now, we're in the midst of a culture that just does not care, that that just does not care. And when it comes to the culture of some police officers, not all, because I have police officers in my family, and they're awesome people. They're awesome people. But there are just some, you know, that I, I just don't understand where we're coming from, what we're trying to do, you know, and, and their mindset. I don't understand their mindset. we got a great panel, um, Doug. Martez Taylor, my co-host with Sisters on the Sidelines. We have Keisha um, Sanders in here, and she's running for, for Board of Education um, in, in her city. Um, we got Kia Van Wright Ford on tonight. And we have one of my favorites in Shauna Cook. And they all have young men. They all have sons in their households. And they're all having to have the conversation. So let me go ahead and welcome these ladies here. Let me open up their mics here and get them in here and and, and just welcome them to the show. Keisha, how are you? I'm good. I hope everyone else is. Awesome. Thank you, Keisha. Um, Kia, how are you? I am wonderful. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the show. If you have your your, um, phones or mics on on, um, open, make sure you don't have them on um, the speaker. Make sure you use them otherwise. Um, Martez Taylor, how are you? I'm doing well, doing well in the midst of all this. Thank you. Keeping my head up. Keep your head up. We need you all to keep your heads up. We had a great show with the men's last night. Men last night, we're hoping to have the same thing. And I left one out. Shauna Cook, how are you? I am doing good. I'm glad to be on the panel with you ladies today or tonight. You know, what I want to do, Duck, before you start with the questioning, I want every one of the ladies to um, to talk about just their history, their background for just a moment, you know, in, in the ages of your sons or son. So let me just give you 30 seconds apiece. We'll start with Keisha, then Martez, then Kia, and then Shauna. Just give us a little bit of history and, and how your son is and what they're doing. Um, go ahead, Keisha. Sure. My name is Keisha Sandage. I'm a wife. I'm a mother. Um, I'm also a licensed clinical social worker. Uh, my son is 20, and um, he's doing okay. This has really hit below the belt for him, and, and, and I have to be honest in saying that he's struggling with it. And, you know, with that comes the rest of the family struggling with him. That's right. That's right. All right. Um, and Martez? Uh, I'm Martez Taylor, and um, I have two sons. I have a son that is 25, a son that's 22. And um, I, I, you know, I've had these conversations with them at a younger age, um, but now I find myself uh, having, they having conversations with me, and they are telling me how they're feeling about things. And 
um, you know, the the conversations in my house has been totally different than the ones that we had, you know, long ago. So mm-hmm. I'm actually learning a lot from them. <laughs> hmm. Amen. Amen. Kia? Hey, good evening, everyone. My name is Kia Van Ray Ford. I am a wife, a mother, and also an entrepreneur. Um, my son is 21 years old and in college, and um, it's been rough here. Like, we're really having those those deep conversations and trying to make sure that he understands what what's going on. But I feel like he's tra- taking it in stride, and, and what I mean by that is that, um, you know, I see him and I hear him having conversations with his friends about what needs to be done and, and, and mm-hmm. what we should be doing. So I'm just, like, super proud of him right now. But, um, yeah, these conversations are hard for our boys. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Sean, go ahead. Uh, good evening. Um, this is Shoshana Cook, and I am a mother of three, but I have one son, and he is 17 that's getting ready to be a senior. So he is we just been having open dialogue with what's going on. I kind of just let him lead me into the conversation, but I do make sure that he is up on knowledge with laws and just how to stand up for yourself where you don't feel like the person that they need to fear. Amen. Kia, what state are you in? I'm in New Jersey. Okay, you're in New Jersey, and then Shauna's in California, Martez is in Maryland, and Keisha is in North Carolina. So we have the country um, represented well tonight. Ladies, I want to introduce you to my co-host every day of the week, and that is David Duck Riley. You all say hello to him, and he's going to ask some questions. Hey there. Hey, David. What's up, ladies? Hey, hey, Coach. (laughs) All right, let me let me first start start off by just welcoming everybody to the show, and I want to start off with uh, my best friend Martez. And the first question, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> my first my first question is, what point did you become fearful for your child in regards to racism? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I think about that question, and I, I've actually I, I I still can't figure out. You know, it's not one point where I felt that way. I've always felt that way. You know, um, our society has always had this systemic problem, and so I've always taught them from day one about you know what's going on in the world. So I think where I became fearful um, was the day that they kind of got from up under me, those teenage years, um, when they were able to go out and kind of drive in the cars with their friends and and, um, go to the different parties. And because they went to such a diverse school, you know, the parties were of all different um, ethnic groups. So that became a conversation that we always had to have. Um, so, yeah, I think that the fear came when they became teenagers. Okay. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to move into the second part of the question because you kind of hit up on it, Martez. Are you more fearful with your child at home or when he was at school or overseas? Um, I think I think that that is directed to me the overseas part. I do have my oldest son, and I I didn't make mention that my oldest son is a professional basketball player in Germany, and he's right. He you know he came home for for the COVID crisis um, for a couple of months, but now he's back over there. They started their season, or they'll begin their season again on June 9th. So um, you know it's funny because. He has so many um, friends that are, um, you know, European friends or friends from um, another country, another culture, and they cannot fathom what racism, you know, is in Germany, that that part of it. Um, you know, they go back to uh, Nazi Germany or that sort of stuff, but to have someone solely um, based on the color of their skin, they were they were basing it on religious um, beliefs and things like that. It wasn't the color, so they can't fathom that 
over there in Germany, they don't understand it. Um, they do have some forms of, uh, I, I wouldn't call it racism, but um, some forms of prejudice over there. Um, but I feel safer with them, <laughs> with him over there than here. Um, you know, he gets, you know, carded because he may be of a different persuasion um, over there now because of ISIS and because of the terrorist um, type things. You know, they don't want people of different country uh, of different countries in their country. Um, so he gets, you know, kind of carded for that. But basically they know he's a basketball player. They kind of know, you know, in his area, they know he's a basketball player. His his uh, face is all over billboards. So I feel I feel he's pretty he's more safe over there than he would be here. They're not knowing him here. You know, he's just another black kid over here or black man over here. So yeah, I'm more fearful here than I am overseas. And of course, with Kellen, um, my youngest son, he is he goes to a predominantly white. Well, he graduated from a predominantly white institution. And now he's um, going on to grad school um, and playing basketball on a basketball scholarship for grad. Um, he's a grad transfer. Um, he is going to University of Albany, which is another predominantly white institution that he has to challenge those challenges of that. Um, so, yeah, I'm always fearful of that, you know, situation that he's put in um, as an athlete, as a, as a black man, um, and and just you know in general the, just the way he presented to to that those people the people the, I won't say those people <laughs> the, the people um, so I guess I have fears in in different ways I think home I think in general I guess to sum it all up at home I feel like here and um, in the United States is where I fear the most. Okay, appreciate it. Uh, Keisha, the same question, if I need to repeat it, I, I can. Uh, just the same thing as far as fearful uh, as a child regards to racism, and are you more fearful for him when he's at home with you or when he's away at college? Yeah, I've you know, over the years I've kind of become numb to uh, what's going on. It's always been a way of life, you know, if you – um, in the younger culture, if you say "bro," you know everybody in that culture understands what you say, what you're saying. So, growing up in Inglewood, California, you know, I've just kind of seen a lot of different things. So, you know, I never really feared racism. It was just a way of life. It wasn't until my son became six five, uh, three hundred pounds, till I started just being scared for his safety wherever he was. You know, it wasn't till, and I'm going to be as transparent as possible here, so I hope that doesn't discredit anything that I'm saying. I just want people to understand what, you know, me as a mother of a black son, you know, really has to go through and really has to talk with my son about. And I think that the only way they can do that is by me being honest and open. Um, it wasn't until, you know, he went to, um, you know, predominantly white schools, living in a predominantly um, white area, that I started to become fearful of him being in relationships with, you know, an interracial relationships because I felt like he already had this scarlet letter of being this big black kid that looks dangerous to, to most, you know, that don't know him. I mean, my son is the kindest individual you'll ever meet. Yes, sir. No, no ma'am. And, and that's in every single person he's talking to. But, you know, I feel like that brought another layer of drama to his life, playing football, and, you know, just being in different areas at different times that just he didn't need. And he didn't understand that because we, we didn't raise him to hate anybody. You know, I, we, I come from a family of helpers, of people working in the community, and that's all we knew. We knew you just treat people the way you want to be treated, and that's what we taught our son. So when we had to start having that type of conversation with him, you know, he kind of thought us a little bit. And it's like he almost didn't understand the gravity of, like, dude, you could literally be in the car minding your own business and be pulled over, and that changes from life and death in a matter of seconds. And he just really didn't fathom that until this situation here. 
Um, I feel more safer with him at home. My son has always been a homebody. Until he got about around that 17 age, he, he just started flourishing. He started having more friends over. Um, you know, we met different people in his life. And then when he went to college, you know, he just, again, just kind of opened, opened the books, I mean, the floodgates, not to, to, to a bad extent, but, you know, just growing up, if you will. So he was a late bloomer. But, um, you know, I would rather him be at home, and I would rather him be home before it gets dark. Um, even in our small little town. Okay. Uh, Kia, same question. Wow. I think for me, um, let's make sure I'm not on mute. I think for me it actually started out really, really early um, in his development years around grade two. I can clearly remember um, always having to monitor the teachers and, and making sure that they were doing right by him. Um, in this particular incident, when he was in second grade, he was coming home and he was upset, and I couldn't really understand what was going on. And for him, I know my son, he has different challenges as it, when it came to, like, math and, and things that, of that nature. But it was still, uh, for me, where's accountability for the teachers to help him? And so I asked the teachers, hey, can I come in? Can I sit in and observe your classes? And when I did that, I realized that the teachers in the class for those kids that weren't getting it and picking it up and just, you know, taking off, she was sitting up to the side and throwing them to the back of the classroom. And when I looked back at the classroom, they were mostly African-American boys. And so for those who know, um, we need to be able to uh, identify those things early. And it was, scary. it was scary for me because I had to be that person that had to be there at the schools every single year making sure that those things were happening for him and that they were connected. And so as he moved into the teenage years, again, I would agree and, and probably um, have the same story as Keisha and Moret is that, you know, driving, getting in the car with others, and, and what would those situations look like um, if he were to be pulled over, and then going on to college and going to a predominantly white institution, um, what did that look like? So, again, for me, it started very early in his career, in his um, formative years, but they last, and they're still there. Okay. Coach Harvey? You know, we, we really shouldn't be fearful, but I think my fear enhanced when Trayvon Martin was murdered because I think my son was about 11 or 12, and I can see my son walking around with the hoodie, the Skittles, and a drink in his hand, by walking home from the store, you know, and now here he is, he's 17, he's driving, he's walking around with those AirPods in his ear, you know, so my fear is, okay, put one AirPod in, don't, don't have them both in, because if somebody's saying something to you, you don't know, they shoot, and then they say, well, hey, this is what was going on, he didn't, um, he didn't acknowledge me, so I shot him. You know, so that is one of the biggest fears that I have when it comes to my son. And now here it is. He's 17. He has one more year in high school, and he has to figure out what school he's going to commit to play football at. So it's either he's home in California or he goes to either those other four schools that is in his top five. So now I'm in a panic because now I have to research those, those laws and how they deal with uh, cops with people of color. You know, on top of all of that, you have to deal with, I, I stress to him, son, you're going to have females that's going to come to you. So now I have to stress with him you know, about the cop situation, about the female situation. If you say no, if she say no, just leave the situation. It's fearful because in California, I can get right to him. If he goes to school out of state, I got to get on a plane, and I don't know their laws like that. So very, very fearful. I'm going to pray over my son and just hope he listens to the nagging that I have been giving him, especially in this last week on how to carry yourself. Okay, I'm going to come right back. To your coach Harvey, because okay. it leads, it's, everything's going to lead into the next question. If your mm -hmm. children have friends who are not people of color, how would recent events affect their friendship? Okay, so my girls, they have friends, you know, 
of people that are not people of color. So they're they look at like look at it like some will not remain your friend because some feel like there is this what we call quote unquote white privilege. Some get it, but some don't. Now my son, he he had you know playing football, you deal with all races. So I just explained to him, open a dialogue. If someone don't know and they are a friend of yours and they're not a person that they're not black, they're not they're not your color. Open that dialogue so they can they're never gonna know what it's like to walk in your shoes. But if they're willing to listen to you, then they're willing to learn. They're willing to have that conversation with Oh wow, I didn't know that. Because believe it or not, some of these uh white privileged kids, they are told, Oh, you know, black people only think this way when in reality it's not like that. So if your friend is open and willing to open having an open dialogue, that's where you start letting them know, hey, this is why we feel this way. And this is why we don't feel this way. Now, how they walk away with it, that's on them. But at least you're able to let them know where you stand as a young black man and as my girls as young black women. Okay, Kia, same question. Yeah, I would say my son, um, too, being an athlete, he was exposed to a lot of races and being on a football team, you get to, to experience those relationships and so I would say, and I can see to this day that some of those relationships have maintained, and I feel like they have a sense of uh, respect for my son. So when he speaks and he says something, they, they tend to, you know, go with it and believe believe what he says. And so, again, I would agree um, with the last mother that said, you know what, just open up the dialogue and have that conversation. Um, what is it that we need to discuss and, and, and how do we need to go about it? I mean, our kids are so influential and impressionable on each other, and I feel like they're at the right age where they can have these conversations. It's us it's old buddies that, you know, we are stuck in our ways, but I think the younger generation, they tend to 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 listen to one another um, easier than, than probably some of the older folks may. Okay, Keisha. Yeah, I'm going to concur with the previous moms. Because our sons play sports, they are, you know, kind of idolized by so many people from different backgrounds. And like I said before, we never taught our son to hate. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe while that may come from other homes, you know, he's just always been that guy who wants to see people live. He's dancing somewhere. You might catch him on, you know, any kind of, um, you know, song, just, just break out dancing. And so he's that, that guy that people feel kind of safe around. They feel like he's not going to judge them. You could have a disability. You could walk funny. My son just doesn't care. So he's able to get along uh, along with people that, you know, some kids may not be, be able to. But I think this last situation has caused him to reevaluate so many things. I think when we got on the phone before we um, – Uh, went live, I said, you know, my son is not in a good space right now. And, you know, it causes a lot of hurt for us. And I just think that that situation has caused him a lot of different things. So when he comes through this, you know, his outlook on the person that he's been for so long may change, you know. So I'm just going to have to preface all of that with saying, you know, I'm, I'm with him in that space, and I'm with him trying to figure out next steps. So I don't know what types of conversations he will have with his white friends. I know before this, you know, that they'll come over to my house. Mom, when you cooking spaghetti again, they love my spaghetti. Uh, you know, I've just been that teen mom, and, and I, I don't know how that will change going forward. And, you know, that's a scary thought. Okay, Martez. You know, as you were talking, it's funny, Kellen was standing here, and I was, I was kind of – asking him, you know, how is your friendship? And he says, you know, they rock with me, Mom. They rock with me. (laughs) 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 You know, Kellen is is something else. So (laughs) he says, look, he he says, Mom, I'm the same person whether I'm on the field or off, whether they want to, you know, I'm if I and I said, well, do they do they treat you? Do you feel they treat you differently 
because you're an athlete. You know, you had he has these white relationships. He has these these um well non people of color. Um, not all of them are white, but you know he has these other relationships and. He's only met, and I would love to get cameras because um, he's had a white friend since, you know, elementary school versus Kellen, who has these white friends now at, you know, in college. And so he's met all these people during the time he's been an athlete in football. Um, I I don't really know if if the effect is because he's an athlete, you know, there will be no effect. Or if, you know, they just, he'll have these conversations. They ask him to have these conversations with them. I don't really feel like they they have these conversations. He has these conversations with his friends because I think his friends already know how he feels about certain situations. You know, mm-hmm. he is very proud of his blackness. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he lets them know on a daily basis that he is. He doesn't change himself for anyone. You know, he's the one that, you know, you're going to accept me for who I am, and if you don't like it, then you need to go away. (laughs) And and I I applaud him for that. So I feel like his friends are, uh, like he says, they're going to rock with him because, you know, (laughs) he's he's their friend, you know. so I don't think his friendships will be affected. I would be, I I would be very interested to hear Cameron and and had that conversation with my oldest son, uh, with his friends and how his friends um, view him now because he has a co- a few um, friends that are not people of color that he's had for ages, and I believe that those friendships haven't been affected either. So I'm not, I I don't think any of their friendships have been affected because they've been the same people all, you know, their blackness has not changed. You know, they have not, um, they don't conform, you know, I I, I don't want to say, how do I want to say it? They're, they do not, you know, change who they are when they go around certain other groups. They never did. They never have. And I think I've talked to the the, people, the, the parents of those children, um, and they said they love they love them because that of that because they you know come in and they teach us and they uh, you know they make us understand that that all blacks aren't a certain way you know we we stop generalizing blacks because of that um, so yeah I don't think their friendships were affected at all. Okay. And I'm going to start with Keisha, and I'm just, you know, I'm listening to everything that each one of you are saying. I'm just thinking, do you understand why not not us as far as being black, but other people of color don't get it? They They don't understand why we're reaching out, why we're saying unity, that type of deal. I think it's hard to understand something that you've never experienced mm-hmm. or or went through. I think that it's that's an understatement. Like if I've never been to another country, I don't know the systems and the norms put in place. Like I was explaining earlier, you know, we talk in a different dialect to one another. My my, my mm-hmm. one of my friends, she jokes with me often. Um, she says, "Is Miss Sandage coming to the conversation, or is Keisha?" Because I have to put on a different voice based on the arena that I'm in. Not saying that I'm changing myself, but I have to change my voice to be received and respected. So it's like, how do you, you know what I mean? How how do you teach somebody something that they, in my opinion, will never understand? You can sympathize with it, but you can't empathize with that. And I don't know. yeah, I just think that there's where the disconnect comes in at. I mean, you could learn it, but, you know, you, could you ever really understand what it's like not to get a job because of the color of your skin? Mm. Can you ever understand what it feels like to not be comfortable driving your car? Like my son explains, I shake when the cops get around me. Can you ever understand or fathom how that feels? No, you can't. So, that gives you this disconnect of, 
why someone is feeling this way. So it almost makes you, you know, um, pass it by or bypass it because that's not real. Okay. I I, I don't know that 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 changes somewhere. I'm sorry. I don't know that that the ability for that to change um, is right now. I don't know that it will ever be that way. I hope it could, but, you know, how can you put yourself in someone's shoes when you will never experience what that person has experienced? Right. And I, I, I had this conversation the other day with my husband, and it's like, what's in it for other people to change? Like, we have to find out what that is. And I feel like it's it's not our job to do that, right? Like, they have to find it within them themselves to figure out why should I change? Why do I want to connect with black people? Why do I want to understand their struggle? And until we get to that point of what's in it for me, or um, I don't know if we can ever get to that point, but that's just a conversation I had with my husband the other day. Like, they need to figure out, like, I'm going to say they because that just sounds so, so, so wrong, but what's in it for them to change? Uh, Coach Harvey? I don't – I really – you can look at it two two ways. Do I think they understand? No. And the reason why I say no is because if you had two kids in, in a room, they don't they don't know that they're in the room, and you ask them the same question. Okay, let's just say DJ. DJ, you get uh, pulled over by the cops. What do you do? I put my hands on the steering wheel. I wait for the cops to come. I ask if I can get my registration and my ID out the car. I don't move. I don't flicker. I don't give the police no problem. That's a that's DJ, a young black male. But if you ask, let's just say Andy, he's going to say, I'm going to ask him why did he pull me over, and you don't have the right to pull me over, and he's going to drive off. So they don't mm-hmm. get it, you know, and and it's not to say yay nor you know it's not to say anything bad about it, but they they don't get it because they don't understand it. They don't understand the anxiety that these young black men and these young black women have when they get pulled over by the cops because Andy is gonna talk crap to the cops and then he's gonna pull off and then he's gonna call his dad or his mom, who's then gonna call the chief and say. Your officer is harassing, you know, my son or my daughter. So I don't think they they get it. I think some is willing to try to hear what's going on, but they're still not going to get it because they're never going to walk in our shoes. But understanding and I I think yeah, I was saying I don't think it's because I I was think. Now that I think about it, it's probably because they've never been accountable or called out on it, right? So just to that right. point that you were just speaking about, Mom, is that, like, when my son gets pulled over, he doesn't get an opportunity to have a second chance. It's that right. one-and-done, five-second um, moment that changes, could change everything, whereas someone who may be of a different color and race, they can, like you said, they can go home, they can talk to their mom and dad about it, and then their mom and dad escalates it. Like, we don't get those second and third chance and looks. So right. for us, that that conversation is very, very different. And that's probably why they don't understand because they never ex- had those experiences, had those instances, like you get back to um, not being hired for um, the color of your skin or just, for example, your resume and the, and the names that show up. They've never experienced that their resume has been thrown in the trash because your name may be of some type of ethnicity. So, again, right. it's, it's the accountability and not having those experiences that probably leads to why they don't understand. Okay. Martez, you want to add anything to that? Um, I think the lady spoke very eloquently. I don't have, I mean, yes, lack of understanding, it's lack of, it's, there, it's ignorance. And I say that in a, a very respectful way. Um, you know, when you're ignorant of something, you tend not to, when you don't know, you just don't know. You know, I'm ignorant of some things. You know, I've, I've grown up in a city all my life. I have, you know, if I went to the country, I'd be very ignorant of someone who is from the South. You know, I, I don't have that Southern culture in me, so I would be ignorant down there. So I think because you know, you haven't experienced, just like the lady said, I echo all their thoughts, 
if you don't if you don't understand if you're ignorant and you don't you can't fathom what people people of color are going these young black men and women are going through then um yeah you it's i don't i can't even say that it's their their fault that they that they don't understand i think that it's it's something that they you know can reach out and and say you know make me understand talk to me communicate let let's talk about this and i think that's what needs to happen um mm-hmm. they need to reach out to us and feel like you know i can't tell you how many of my colleagues from work of my um of my <laughs> friends from school i went to a predominantly white institution university of maryland go turks um <laughs> Um, um, I went to uh, University of Maryland, and I, you know, has they have been reaching out to me and saying, yeah. you know, Marcus, what can we do? How can we help? You know, they talk to me all the time. I talk to one of my colleagues almost every day. Um, and now she says, "Am I missing something? You know, can I? Can what can I do? You know, how can I help? What what should I be?" saying and changing, you know, I understand that I, now that how, how you know, my color is such a privilege, um, and she's asking, she's really, really willing to have the uncomfortable conversation, and I think that's where it needs to start. It needs to start with people wanting to have openness and willingness to have these uncomfortable racial conversations to say, you know what, I get it now. Can I add something yep. to that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just thinking about, like, I was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. I came to very small Concord, North Carolina, one mall. <laughs> Every time I turned around, somebody was waving. And I'm like, why are they waving? It took right. me a year to learn the norms and what I didn't mm-hmm. need to do and what I could do. It's not mm-hmm. as simple as just learning the norms. It's more like you got to go through what we go through, and that will never happen. We are not in a place. Like I watched this, this seminar. It was an old seminar. White lady, she's, you know, into um, um, black politics and, and, and all that good stuff, and she asked the group of white people, how many of you are willing to step in the shoes of a black person right now? being pulled over by oh, a car, being killed by a car. Nobody stood up. Cricket. And yeah, cricket. it's like it's not just as simple as learning the norms of a city. It's like being willing to be tased just for freaking being black. Nobody's yeah. willing to do that. We don't yeah. have that choice. We're not given that choice. Right. Doc, I want to intercede and just ask everybody as a mom. We're all moms on here. You know, and, and I'm going to say on a scale of 1 to 20, how high is your mama bear alert? You know, we all just want to protect them now. And with them being away, with them being 21, you know, 2, 5, or even 30, how how much are you on high alert now and, and really in tune to your, your children? And I'll start with Keisha, then Martez, Kia, and then Shauna. So just today I had a conversation with my son. He's coming back from school today. I guess they get a break after they get their physicals and stuff. And I told him, if you leave after 630, don't come home. I do not want you driving on the road in the dark. And that's saying that to a 20-year-old is like giving them a death sentence. I literally do not want my son to get in his car that he paid for cash by himself and drive at night. I've never had to say that to him. And that's how, my, how, how, I guess, aggressive my mama bear instincts are at this point. Before he left um, last Sunday to go back to school, I just had to have a heart-to-heart, man. Like, I'm going to say some things to you that you ain't going to like, but you're going to have to respect them because it's my job. I don't care if you're 20. I don't care if you're 50 to protect you. That is my job, and I am going to do that by whatever means necessary. So you're just going to have to hate me. <laughs> wow, Marquez, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. I had this conversation with my boys, and you know, they have. They, again, uh, they've been talking to me, and you know, I've I've always been the mama bear. I, you know, that's you know, we're always you know, yeah. once they come uh, come out, 
that's it. Mama bed is already attuned. <laughs> that we we got it. We got it on lock right there. Okay, bye, baby. Yeah. Um. So, I um, I had the conversation with them, and they literally told me, Mom, you have to understand how much you've instilled in us, and mm-hmm. what you've instilled in us. And, you know, all the things that you, and they regurgitated everything that I have ever told them in life. And they said, Mom, we know. We get it. We absolutely know. You know, I know, I mean, he's headed out right now. And, you know, my head starts pounding a little bit. But it's like, you know, I have to be, not comfortable, but I have to be, you know, I have to be prayer prayerful <laughs> that they go out mm-hmm. and they get it and they understand. I can't, you know, hover over them for their entire lives, but I want to, and I'm like the, yeah. you know, the previous mom. I want to all day. <laughs> if I could, I I wrap them. I had them sitting on this couch along with me, but <laughs> that's not that's not what you know. They're grown men. They have to go yeah. out there, and they don't have to live their lives. And so they informed me, Mom, you have done a great job in doing and telling us and informing us and making sure that we understand and we know, you know, what what's going on in the world and how we should act in it. And um, okay. just know that everything everything that you, you said, we heard. So okay. am I worried? Yes. All the time, but my worry is for other people out there that don't, you know, the 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 other people. It's like you're driving, you know, you're you're defensive driving. Like my my defenses are on for them um, versus them going out and not knowing and not you know being able to cope. Um, so yeah, that I I'm, I'm my mama bear is on, but you know I have to let them go. Yeah. And Kia, you how Kia, how how much on high alert are you in uh, with this? Well, if you're on a scale of from one to twenty, I'm probably like a hundred. And for those <laughs> exactly. who know me, it's always been like that since out the womb. Like my son can't mm-hmm. really go that come down the steps without me asking him, like, "What are you doing? Where are you going?" Because um, I need to know those answers, right? Because if anything happens, I need to know how to to come and and figure some stuff out for you. But again, to some like what the mothers were saying, there comes a point in time where you have to release that control, right? You have to figure out where where's that fine line. And but it to not that's not to say that I'm not worried. Every single day that he goes out the house, I'm like, "Please, Lord, just cover him." And the interesting part about it is that he knows I'm a mama bear. He knows my mama bear alert is always on 100. And he always, and it's funny, he's, he's saying to me now, Mom, God got me. Like, and again, like the mother said, they're regurgitating some of those things that we used to say to them. Um, and, and he says it to me all the time. He was like, I could do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Like, he's saying that to me now when he goes out the door. I got this. God got me covered. And so just knowing that and that he has a relationship with Jesus Christ, this kind of solidifies any worry that I may have um, going out the door. Okay. Before I get Coach Harvey in here, I counted at least 80 um, people that have called into the show. Um, Listeners, we cannot get you in to make a comment or ask a question because we really want to hear from these moms. But maybe we'll do this again next month and maybe take some questions. So I appreciate all of the response for girl power versus man power yesterday. (laughs) A lot of call ins um, tonight, and I appreciate the the dialogue. You knew I was going to get that in, Duck. You knew somewhere down there. Um, uh, Co- Coach Harvey, how on how alert are you? You know, I've been knowing you now probably five, six, seven years. I've watched yeah. DJ grow up um, before our eyes through all of what you've done. Just tell me how much on high alert you are, and then I'll turn it back over to Duck. I am on extreme high alert. I, he be like, Mom, I got this. But I'm like, boy, you 17. <laughs> You, you ain't got nothing. Like, I need you to text me, call me when you get to where you're going. Y'all don't ride four people in the car. Be careful. You know, I know I get tired of it, but I'm like, I want you to come home. And mm-hmm. because they shoot before they talk, I need you to, to just follow what I'm saying to you. So mm-hmm. he know. He know. And I don't know what I'm going to do when he go to college because, Lord. <laughs> You'll be all right, Mom. You'll be all right. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's hard. And they're done that. Hard. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Are you ladies finished? <laughs> Are you finished? Well, it is it is nice to hear that, you know, Princess was able to throw out a questions about being on high alert. But you you're leaving out the males. And as a father, we are always yeah. on high alert. So and we appreciate you guys. But look, it, it takes two of us and we're right there with you. Yeah. I agree, coach. I completely agree. And we appreciate you. And we appreciate you, too. All right. All right. So Absolutely. I'm getting ready to start off with uh, Coach Harvey. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the questions I asked the men last night. Uh, what method do you think will work best in today's society, the MLK approach or the Malcolm X approach? Right now it's both. And the reason why I say both, because you can protest peacefully. You know, you can turn the other cheek. We're going to use the example as Kaepernick. He protested peacefully. Now we at the Malcolm X, by any means necessary. (laughs) So now we're there where everybody is like, okay, this is too much. You know, everybody's protesting. But why did we have to get to this point for you to hear what we are saying? Like, it, once we get to that point, now you're at the point of no return. Now it's either you're going to, let's see what you're going to do now. Now, is it a good way? For some it is. For some it's not. But I just think right now you're at both because you have some people who go to MLK way. Then you have some that's like, we're going to go do this by any means necessary. Y'all going to respect us. Okay, Kia. I would say it's a combination of both, too, but as I think and as I talk to my kids about some of the things that they can do, we're going to have to come up with a new way, and I feel like that way is through economics and finance and really understanding how to get in the game, right? So, and not to bore anybody, but the wealth, medium net worth of white household is 10 times the median net worth household of a black household, right? So we need to start teaching our children about stocks and bonds, investments, real estate, so they can start saving and building wealth for themselves and for their families. So we need to take a whole different strategy and start educating our children about what that means just to get into the game. So, but again, I feel like it's it's a it's a tag team between the Martin and the and the um, the Malcolm. But we have to find another way to get into the game, and I feel it's through economics and through financial strategies. To say neither, because neither of them have worked. We've got to identify something differently. I mean, I think laws have changed. I think, you know, maybe feelings may have been hurt. I think some people can sympathize with what we're going through, through those type of peaceful protests and those type of angry protests. But, I mean, let's be honest. You know, we are still where we were a long time ago. We still have people being enslaved, whether that be financial slavery or whether that mm-hmm. be, you know, fearful for being pulled over by a cop. I agree with the mom who just spoke about teaching our kids. Like, I had to teach my kid this is not taught in school. I had to teach right. my kid about budgeting, saving, yeah. stocks and bonds. What, what you going to need your money for later? Why you don't need to spend it on this frivolous stuff now, Jordans or uh, a big yeah. old fancy car, getting a car? payment and you know we've got to start changing and this is the reason why I'm running for school board we've got to start changing what our kids are being taught in the school yes. we've got to change what we allow our kids to be affiliated with and I mean I heard the other mom talking about you know um, that we need to let them grow but like to me letting my kid go means I, I'm hanging off in the balance and like I let him do him when he's just still a kid himself and like you know like like now we'll he's in college and you know some of the things that he needs to know for day to day like how to be a man how to do a b c and d like he calls me still to ask me about different financial decisions to make and like letting him go would lead him to his own devices hoping that the school is doing that and not to discredit the school in any way they've got a whole lot of kids that, that they're worrying about but that just won't happen if I'm not right there on top of it saying, 
here or there or or whatever have you. So I just think I, I'm not I, right now. I'm I'm kind of on the fence about that. And I just think something has to change. And what they did got us to this point, but we've got to do more to move forward. Okay, Martez. Um, I say, I say both are, you know, kind of similar. And if we go through history, um, you know, I, I love African-American history. I, you know, I studied it a lot. And in the later years of Martin Luther King, in fact, it was a, it was a um, long, hot summer is what they called it, um, from 1967 to his death, um, or September of 1966 to 1967, there was a, a period where Martin Luther King was even saying, you know what, I understand riots. I understand you know, pro- protesting or violent um, violent ways. I understand why people are doing that. So he even changed his rhetoric at the end, you know, when he was preaching all this nonviolence. He became a little, you know, a softer Malcolm X almost. Um, so I'm, I'm in Maryland, but I'm right outside, you know, I'm in Prince George's County, Maryland, uh, which is probably, I'm, a, I'm literally a mile and a half from the District of Columbia line where they're having these violent protests, um, you know, or they had these riots or looting or whatever, and they tore up the city. And, you know, I feel like we – they're they're protesting. Um, it's it's the it's the protests or riots are you know the voice of the unheard. You know they're they're tired. And I hear on the news and I'm talking to young people. Um, Maryland was um, and D.C. were in the primaries yesterday. I was out there and I'm talking to young people in the lines and saying, you know, how do you feel about what's going on? And they're saying we're tired, we're angry, we're upset, we feel like we're not getting heard. And that's what needs to happen. Um, you know, they need to get heard, but they don't, they don't feel like unless they speak loud and throw bottles and do stuff that they're, they're, they won't be heard. If it's an economic thing, you know, they went and said, you know, do this blackout Tuesday. Um, <laughs> You know, don't spend your money in any, you know, big box retailers. No, you know, buy all black or whatever. And people still question that. So I feel like it's going to be all of us as a community, as a whole, coming together instead of us asking questions, just support, you know, what's going on out there. I understand the questions that people say, well, you know, my friends were like, well, Martha, then they do this blackout Tuesday, then what? I said, and they were like, you know, the Montgomery boycott went on for 300 and some odd days. I said, yes, but mm-hmm. if you read your history, that was only supposed to be a day. It was only supposed to last a day. That was what it was intended for. And so, it, it, you know, the black people came together. We came in as a community, and we were, we were like, you know, oh, this is this this is fine. Let's let's do it. You know, this is working. Let's do you know a week. Let's then do a month. So then once that the people started kind of everyone started getting together. That's when they mobilized. They organized. They devised a plan. They took it to Congress. They made sure um, laws were on the book or bills were on the books to become to to become laws. Um, that's when, you know, the ruckus started. And I think that's what we don't have as a community. We don't have the mobilization, the organization, um, the devising of plans. Um, what do I tell my sons? I agree with the mom, you know, economic power. Um, we've had that, we, we had an extensive conversation about that when all this started. And I told him, you know, I've always told my sons, you're not, you know, my son makes a, a, a great, a nice amount of money now. But what I tell him to do, you, you, you want wealth. You want, mm-hmm. you want, you don't want to be rich. You want well, wealth. Generational I want wealth. you to have wealth. And they don't, they don't understand, you know, young people today don't understand being rich and being wealthy. You know, I want you to have things that you, you know, homes, 
things are, that are assets to you, stocks, bonds, you know, um, um, invest in some businesses, bring your people up. You get, a, you get a platform, and then you bring somebody up under you. You know, his friends are trying to start financial businesses. We, we don't have black banks. It's one black bank in our community right now, industrial bank, that's here. Um, we need black banks. We need black, you know, those types of things we got to, we have to get as a people. Um, so yeah. that's what I'm telling Kellen. That's what I'm telling Cameron. You know, save up your money. Let, you know, you have all these rich friends in the NBA, in the NFL, you know, um, you can you can kind of group them together and you guys start something. You guys go out and you figure you get a bank going. You get you know some financial institution um, going that can that can uh, um, parallel with Wells Fargo and and Bank of America and all of those. Because until our, we get our seats at the table, nothing will change. It's sad, but that's that's the way it is. And you're right. Economic power is the most you know, we spend six trillion dollars. Is black money is six trillion dollars in the in, in the economy right now. If we stopped, if it was just a million of us or five hundred thousand of us that just didn't buy Gucci or you know some big big name, that would that would hurt them. That would hurt their pocket pockets. And that's what we have to express to our children and to our community. Yep. And we also need to teach – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was saying that, and I think someone had said that, but making sure we're teaching entrepreneurship, right, how to make their yeah. own money. Yes, go buy those mm-hmm. businesses. It's nothing better than owning your own. I'd be remiss yeah. to say being an entrepreneur myself, and I'll share a short story. Me and my husband, we own an apparel printing company, and, for, and we've had it for over like seven, seven to eight years, and we would spend countless nights – in our home um, that has now expanded to having and owning multiple machines, um, countless nights printing night after night after night, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, get up and, and go to a vending event and so forth. And we always just say, wow, I wonder if the kids actually really get it. Why are they down here yeah. helping us? And even when we would ask them to help us, it would be like, oh, mom, I don't want to do this. I don't believe like, this is not something I want to do. And then it clicked. My son had to come home for school, college this summer. And he went out, applied for a couple of jobs because we offered to tell him, like, look, you have to figure out how much money you want to make, and then you have to find a product to sell that would equate the amount that you want to make. He applied to different jobs here and there. Next thing I know, he has a whole full-blown company on the website, and he's selling T-shirts like it's nothing. So shout-out to Survival USA. And he now has a, a clothing line, and all his friends and his network of friends, the football friends, the athletes, the folks that he connected with all these years, they're now buying shirts hand over fist. He's down in that basement now more than ever. He's down there more than we are. So yeah. just to say that entrepreneurship, they, they will see the value in it. We have to start teaching that um, at a very, very, very early age. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Princess, you want to – Kind of sum it all up for us. Um, actually, I'm just going to let the ladies. You know, we're we're about out of time. We got less than the 90 seconds here, but I'm going to give. We're just going to go a little bit over time. I want, you know, just a final statement from each mom, um, and 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 get that because I, I've just been moved by everybody. I really appreciate it, and I'm just honored to have you all on and have this dialogue. So, Keisha Martez, Kia Sana, if you can all just give us a final statement. Um, how you feel, you know, about all of this, and and maybe a solution. I don't know, but you 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 got sixty seconds apiece, um, and I'll start with Keisha. <laughs> of this course. is not a black people problem. This is a everybody problem. I truly feel that united we stand, divided we fall. Some of my friends may not agree with me, but I think for so long we have fought this by ourselves, and that has gotten us very little room. You know, I learned the, I learned years ago that, you know, you could walk in a bank and have the best of everything, but that bank teller or that bank 
loan officer has the decision power of saying yes or no, regardless of what your financial status is. And until we break those lines, we as a people will continue to be in this, you know, state of not having money and being poor and not owning things and not having that generational wealth and pushing mm-hmm. our children into the, the, the same place that we are right now. We have got to invest in what our kids are in. You know, my, my son used to say all the time, you own every set. It's because you own that set, you know, and, and, and you are my responsibility. So if, if I can teach you anything in watching you, then I, I'm going to do that. We have got to get them more involved in government. If you ladies mm-hmm. hear anything from me tonight, it's that this young generation right now, they are fearless. And we need to use that to help them understand their place in politics. Because if we don't put people of color in positions to make decisions, we are going nowhere. I'll Amen. end with that. Thank you, Keisha. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Um, Keisha, before you before I let you go, give us your website uh, and, and so that we can help you out and, and contribute. What's your website, Keisha? Tell us what, what, what position you're running for. Sure. I'm running for our local school board. People keep telling us, telling me I should do mayor or something like that. But I feel like school is so important because that's where our kids are at seven hours a day. And that's where we reach them at. Um, my website is Keisha, K-E-S-H-I-A, the number four, Cabarrus, C-A-R-R-U. I'm sorry, I just said that wrong. C-A-B-R-R-U-S, county.com. We are a small grassroots, donated $5, whatever you can afford, or donate it all, maybe volunteer. Thank you. Okay. All right, Mark, who did I say next? Martez, then Kia, then then Shauna. Did I still have you, Martez? Okay. I think I lost Martez there. Unless you're on, you got it on. Mute. Oh, I'm sorry. I was on mute. I was on mute. The dog was playing with her, her bone here. <laughs> um, Give I, us your final I 60 seconds I, here, Martez. Okay. I think I finished it, you know, with, with my last statement. You know, we just, we, we need to come together as a community and, you know, show what our economic power is. Um, so I think our young people are, are, will get it if we, Start kind of instilling that into them as you know, as we learn it, make them learn it. So, yeah, that's it. Amen. Economic Amen. power equals black power. <laughs> Kia? I would just say to our young people, just stay encouraged. Uh, most importantly, love who you are. Be p- proud of your blackness and don't let anyone silence you. Um, use your voice for good. Um, secondly, I would say just be kind, just be a kind person, right? Like people need to um, see see certain behaviors, right? And being a kind person, I just always tell my students, like, just be kind. And then find opportunity to help each other. I know um, hopefully my mentor is listening on the call, but she once told me, build as you um, climb. Make sure you're bringing other people along with you because I think as part of our community, we do that naturally. But we, if we're in these positions and if we build ourselves to certain points, we need to make sure we're building um, folks up while we climb. Um, and then again, I think I echo some of what the moms were saying. Get involved in the local community government. Make sure that you can have a voice there and to, um, to try to change and influence the, um, the culture. But these are my last three points I will make that I will be missed if I didn't say is let's support HBCUs. Make sure we can start having those conversations for there are children who do want to go to college. And if they don't, you know, maybe encourage them for a two-year college to save money. But let's support our HBCUs. They need us now more than ever. And during COVID, we have been impacted disproportionately, and everyone knows that. And our HBCUs will shut down if we don't support them. And, again, support my own own business. Make sure we're doing that. 2% of the businesses in Philadelphia are African-American-owned. That's a disgrace. We need to make sure we change that. And, lastly, just start talking to our kids about how we change their economic future through through wealth and ownership. So that will be my last comments for the day. Amen. Amen. Okay. Shauna? You know, I'm I'm gonna start off with saying that I preach to my kids generational wealth. You know, um mm-hmm. I want my kids to be how the black Wall Street was. You making your own generational wealth. Don't wait for somebody to teach you 
Don't wait for nobody to show you. Learn it yourself. Get on the grind because at the end of the day, you want to leave stuff for your kids and your kids' grandkids the same way other races do it. And I really want to say to to those who are not people of color, stop looking at our kids as if they are fearful, as if you're fearful of them. Because until you've opened a dialogue and got to know them, you don't have no right to feel fearful of them if they haven't done anything to you. So maybe that's one of the be able to talk and open a dialogue is be willing and able, but don't look at them like they are taboo because they're not. They're just as intelligent, if not even more intelligent than the next person, but give them the same opportunity that you expect for everybody else to give you. Awesome. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, ladies. And and finally, I just don't want our generation to drop the ball. Our parents have told us some horrific stories. I don't want us to get complacent, and we have to pass on, you know, our cultural pride in our stick to itiveness in, in to our kids and, and they're already fearless. We just gotta keep our hands on them and make sure they are doing well and then release them to be who they are. But I d I don't want yeah. our generation to drop the ball. Um and, and ladies thank you for being on. We gotta come back. Um these calls have stayed on here. This hotline is burning up. We gotta get you all back and and, and good luck to you Keisha um um in, in your election um, in, in November. So we, I appreciate you, and we'll get you all all back on, okay? Okay. Have a good night. All right. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Duck, that was, that was girl power right there. That was female power. That was entrepreneur power. You know, I, I really appreciate those ladies taking the time to talk to us. I will see you on Thursday with the Athlete Spotlight at 7 p.m., right, Duck? You got them. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Never had it so good. We're on a different platform. Shout out to um, Kevin Walker. He is live on Sports Talk um, with K Walk on Never Had It So Good. And we'll see you next time. I am this woman. I am this woman that has set the expectations of the world to take my rightful place among the stars. The woman that does not use the traditional roadmaps to a given place, but create my Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.